The Real Estate Sessions podcast is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising for real estate brilliantly simple. Promote your brands, promote your listings, learn more at adworks.com. That's A-D-W-E-R-X.com, adworks.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. I am so thrilled to introduce my guest for episode 29 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. It is Michelle Corsmo, the Chief Executive Officer of the American Land Title Association. We're going to call that ALTA for short. Alta was founded in 1907. It's the National Trade Association that represents more than 6,000 title insurance companies, uh, settlement agents, independent abstractors, title searchers, real estate attorneys. It's our association. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. I'm so glad to be here. Well, on the real estate sessions, I love to get origin stories of our guests. And for you, it starts far away from your current home of Washington, D.C., you are born and raised in North Dakota, correct? That's right. And and a proud bison from North Dakota State University. Am I right there? That's right. Go bison, five-time <laughs> national champion football team. You know, I knew that, but I some, something told me as a proud bison, you were going to bring that up, and that's great. So, <laughs> it would it would be hard not to. Uh, you know, for any uh, any team that is out there uh, winning a national championship five times in a row is pretty impressive. And yeah. um, there's there's a lot to be proud of with that team. One of the things that I always like that people may not realize is that they don't wear their names on the back of their jerseys, uh, the NDSU football team, because they're not individuals; they're a team, and they operate as a team, which I always think is really impressive. Well, they I know they've had uh, they've been on ESPN Game Day a couple times in the last couple of years, yeah. and it's been fun to watch uh, that community just you know go crazy about that team. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah I like that. Fargo loves the game day. <laughs> Fargo loves the game. You've got to tell me, have you ever made it back for one of those? Uh, I have not made it back for a game day, unfortunately. Yeah, that Although, would be a blast. You know, they're, they're all uh, getting ready at like 4 a.m., so right. it would be tough for me right. to do even if I was there. I don't really know that I'd care for 4 a.m., despite the fact I grew up on a farm. <laughs> so let's let's talk about North Dakota just for a second, because it's mm-hmm. it's. I think that there are probably – some common misconceptions about North Dakota. And I guess being a North Dakotan, did I say that right? Yeah. That yep, you've, prob- you you've probably heard a few of them. Can you share some with us? Uh, well, yeah, there's always uh, there's always some interest in whether or not the Indians still roam free on uh, the North Dakota prairie, which I think is fascinating. Um, while I did grow up with a number of Indians as friends, uh, they live very much like the rest of us. And, and that's one of the things that I think is interesting for people that don't go to North Dakota when they say, you know, what do you do? The reality is on Friday night, we do the same thing that Americans everywhere around the country do. We go to movies. We go over to friends' house. We uh, have parties and gatherings and, you know, we go bowling. And frankly, in the winter, people go out and do a lot of winter sports and winter activities. Well, I, I had a chance to visit North Dakota a few years ago in September I was in Bismarck for their their Land Title Association conference, and it's a, a beautiful place right on the Missouri River. I got to play golf at a beautiful golf course yep. with black sand. That was awesome. I don't know where that yep. came from, but that was neat. But it's it's really beautiful country. So I, I uh, it is. 
Yeah. Well, so you you graduate from North Dakota State University, and you you stayed in you were still in North Dakota. You you formed a political yep. consulting company there, correct? Yeah, I did. Uh, I had a firm that did a lot of different grassroots um, work. One of the things that I started my career doing was lobbying the state legislature uh, when I was in college on behalf of the NDSU student body. And I was probably hooked into the political process long before that, but hadn't really realized that you could make a career of it without being an elected official, which I didn't really have any interest in. So with my firm, I spent a lot of time working on different policy issues, uh, a lot of telecom deregulation issues, um, and some other ag issues around the state. And then I also worked on campaigns uh, as part of what we worked through, which, which was great. The nice thing about campaigns, I think, is I've always thought they're a lot like a farming season where you have uh, one very intense season where you've got to get all of your work done, and if you don't do the proper preparation, uh, early in the spring, you're not going to have a harvest to bring in in the fall, uh, and there is an end to that season, and you know very well whether or not uh, you did a good job or not. Wow, so uh, it, I love that analogy. Well, we're watching it right now. In fact, the TV's on here, yeah, on we you, are. and I'm watching uh, some coverage. So, yeah, it's part of that season that we're talking about. Did you always want to end up in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I don't know that I ever had... I'm not one of those people that has a very clear, I want, you know, I want to do this, I want to go here uh, kind of mindset. Um, I always think that if you do a good job where you are, some opportunity will present itself, and if it does present itself, uh, take it. And that's really what happened. I had a number of clients that were uh, nationally based, and uh, I had the opportunity to come to Washington, uh, and I took it. Uh, so I started as the Deputy Chief of Staff at the U.S. Department of Labor, which was a really fantastic experience and a tremendous learning experience for me because working for a government agency like that department is really like working for a company that's the size of a Fortune 100 company, uh, but of course it has a very different mission. As Deputy Chief of Staff at the Department of Labor, what, what was your role? So my primary role was serving as a liaison between um, the secretary in her office and the White House, which was really interesting um, just to see kind of how the information is exchanged and to be a part of that information exchange uh, from a policy perspective. The other things I did while I was there is was a part of the budget team that determined the budget for the department and all of the agencies within the Department of Labor. And then I also was responsible for uh, providing a policy clearance on items that went to the Federal Register. So that's something that's been very useful in my work uh, with ALTA because, of course, we're so keen on the rulemaking process from the different agencies and having a sense of how that rulemaking works and what uh, what influences the process has really been a, a fantastic learning block that I developed when I was at, at the Department of Labor. Right. You talk about the Federal Registry. It's in the news this morning as we're recording this podcast with the CFPB, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but right. that's interesting. Right. So you, you leave the Department of Labor and you go for a brief stint as Executive Vice President for the Americans for Prosperity Foundation. And in your role there, your job, at, was it to kind of increase the size or kind of grow that organization? What was your role there? Yeah, so when I was there, um, AFP was very new and we were working on getting state chapters going. So again, really focused on a policy perspective, what we could do to be involved in the tax and budget uh, conversations that were happening in the states. 
So what I really did was spend a lot of time going out to different states and finding leaders, finding um, organized kind of grassroots movements and, and building that in order to expand not just financially, but more importantly, kind of the people that are involved and took ownership of Americans for Prosperity and the leadership that those um, different chapters had within the states. And so then we get to 2008 and an opportunity uh, opens up at, mm -hmm. at Alta and you become chief operating officer. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So then you become CEO in 2011. So for realtors or lenders or other real estate professionals listening to this episode, can you explain Alta's role in the industry? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting uh, to see what a trade association can do to help uh, protect and advance the mission of the industry that they represent. And, you know, I think that if you look at associations and you look at the political process and certainly Washington, D.C., well, let me say that I've always thought of Washington as kind of a company town, you know, so people will work in different organizations within D.C., but they're all really divisions of the same company. And so a trade association is a really important division of the political process where uh, the association is a strong voice and should be a strong voice for its members to policymakers, regulators, and really to the media and other influencers about the importance of the role of that industry. Now, you, you come into Alta um, with a, a background rich in growth and management, you know, and, and you've been part of the public sector for a while, but you didn't have a whole lot of experience with the title right. industry, right? So was that helpful or was that a challenge? Well, it was really interesting. So uh, Kurt Fotenhauer was the CEO of Alta and um, was really charged with building the organization. And so he called me because he and I had known each other from, from around town. He knew me by reputation and said, um, I'm trying to do these great things over here at this really wonderful organization. And we've got a terrific membership base. These are wonderful people that are the pillars of the community and was trying to describe the title industry for me. And I said, you know, Kurt, I don't know if you realize it, but my husband was in the title industry um, for several decades and his family has been in the industry since 1910. So my husband's family um, was involved in the, I shouldn't say was involved, his uh, aunt uh, and her husband started the abstract company in Fargo, North Dakota in 1910. Um, John went back after law school uh, to work with his dad, who was then in the business at the Abstract Company, and John subsequently started a title agency, both in Fargo and in Moorhead, uh, and did that for a number of years before he sold those companies to his partners and family. So I had kind of an inside track on uh, what this industry was like, and frankly, I had an inside track on how great the people were in this industry, so it was pretty easy for me to say that Alta was a trade association where I wanted to, to go and spend some time. That's great. Uh, I did not know that, so <laughs> that's yeah. it. I love that kind of information coming out on the show. I, I've had the opportunity to attend, and, and actually fortunate enough to present at both both the ALTA annual convention and, and the Business Strategies Conference, and Let's talk for a minute about the importance of these events, the way you view them, and and also let's go ahead and give a shout out for what it takes to produce these events. Well, thanks, and I I appreciate Bill your involvement in uh, presenting at our conferences. You know, we're really focused on um, making sure that we provide a great experience with um, any of the meetings we produce because we're thinking about what takes people away from their day to day and puts them. Uh, into one of these conferences and makes it worthwhile. 
and especially when you think about the title and settlement industry, so much of the day-to-day -day is making sure that you know the orders get completed and the abstracts are done and the title commitments are issued and uh, everything is ready for a closing on time. So there's a lot of deadlines, there's a lot of um, making sure that you're managing your schedule really well. When you're doing all of that, of course, you tend not to lift your head up and think about what's going on in the world around you and in the industry around you. And that's really what any of the ALTA meetings, but specifically the annual convention and the business strategies convention um, does for the attendees. Is it gives them that moment to really look around and pay attention to what industry leaders are doing, um, thinking about what some of the threats may be uh, to the industry, thinking about different things that we can do to protect our consumers through the process. So just lots of um, good information that helps people connect with the kind of real mission of the business more than the importance of making sure that the work product is really solid and on time. So I would say that you know if you've got the time, if you're listening and you're somehow related in the title and settlement industry or involved with the title and settlement industry, that it's really worth your while to attend one of the ALTA meetings and get a sense of it. Um, we have a really high rate of repeat attendees, which always makes us proud. You know, We're looking at our business metrics to determine whether or not we're doing a good job. And one of them is if the people that attend um, get a lot out of it and keep coming back. Um, so we spend time tweaking our meetings to make sure that they keep getting stronger and that we're offering something not only to the people that attend, but the people that haven't yet been and, and should be coming to, to give them more. Um, since you've opened the door for me, Bill, I do want to mention for everybody that our next conference is the Business Strategies Conference. It's happening in Indianapolis, Indiana, March 16th to the 18th. Uh, it's going to be a really great, uh, fun show. Business Strategies is a shorter meeting. It's pretty intense. It spends time focusing a lot on the kind of day-to-day -day business threats and challenges. We've got a big focus on um, cybersecurity and cyber fraud so people can think about what they can do to protect their company and their clients from cyber fraud. We're also spending time talking about um, consumer education and consumer outreach. So if anybody's inclined, Indianapolis is a fun city. We're going to do a lot of fun indie things. Um, for many people, it's a nice drive. Uh, so we hope that people, we see people in Indianapolis. And if not, we'll be in your neck of the woods in Scottsdale, Arizona for our annual convention October 4th through the 7th, yeah, which of course I, is... I love that. Crowned. Yeah. We're making it easy for you, Bill. I will be there. I I can promise that. It, uh, at the at the Fairmont Princess of all places. So I know it'll be lovely. It'll be you and uh, more than a thousand of your title and settlement friends. Excellent. And I'm sure golf is being arranged somewhere, right? There is a golf tournament. Uh, I think that when people come to Arizona, there is an expectation <laughs> that golf will happen. Right. So I'm excited about that as well. Yeah. Well, you. So, yeah, we'll do. Uh, just so you know, we do a golf tournament. Um, that's, that's a lot of fun for everybody and also raises money for the Title Industry Political Action Committee. Perfect. Well, let's let's uh, talk about the uh, the business of, of what you do. It's been you've been very busy the last few years, obviously. Um, everyone in the yeah. business knows the acronym TRID, although the CFPB wants us to call it no before you owe. Yeah, TRID is stuck. And uh, Alta's played and, and really continues to play a major role, not only with regulators, but with members. So. What's your take? We're a few months into this. How are we doing as an industry with the new rule? 
Well, it's interesting because I know that people certainly are feeling the struggle, but frankly, I'm really proud of the efforts of the industry uh, to go out and to educate um, their partners, to train their employees, to make sure that they understand what's going on with TRID. Uh, people spend a lot of time, and we, we've been working on this for a couple of years, and they spend a lot of time and a lot of hours trying to get it right. And I think that a lot of people will see that their hard work paid off. Now, saying that doesn't mean that there isn't uh, problems and confusions when it comes to implementation, because the reality is, is that you can train and practice a lot, but until you're in a live situation with a live uh, mortgage and buyers and sellers and all of the things that go into those processes, um, you're not able to anticipate everything that's going to come up. So there really has been uh, a big transition period where people were going through a, a lot. I mean, I think there was definitely a struggle in trying to figure out whose interpretation of the 1,888-page rule was right. Uh, I think that there is a lot of questions about how to handle different situations. And of course, as we know, every real estate transaction truly is unique. You have different properties and different buyers and sellers in every case. And so um, each, each transaction is unique and has to be dealt with individually. Uh, I think that the key that we talked about before remains the key now, and that's collaboration. So the more the realtors and the lenders and the settlement and title companies are spending time talking to each other and exchanging information and really setting expectations, the better off the, tra the transaction is for everyone, but most importantly for the uh, home buyers and sellers in the process. Um, so really, I would encourage everybody to keep up that collaboration. And if you're feeling frustrated in the process, uh, that that you'll find that your solutions will come from collaboration. And actually, if you're looking for more information, um, we do spend a lot of time putting information up on our blog. So there's a lot of questions and answers. So if people have questions, they can ask them and get them answered on our blog, which you can find at blog.alta.org. Uh, which is a great place to go. So blog.alta.org, uh, you can look at other questions that people have asked, which may share your same experience, or certainly ask a question of your own if you have it. I'll definitely, you know, second your your thoughts on collaboration. I know that for us, well, I know I taught 93 different TRID sessions from <laughs> in 2015. That's good work. Yeah, I was hoping to get to 100, but we we fell just short. But <laughs> yeah. we, There's still time. Yeah, there is. But I think we really found that as settlement agents, title and settlement agents, we were really ready. And I'm not yeah. saying I'm not really, I don't think I'm talking out of school here, but I have a, a lot of the lenders weren't as ready as we were. And we found ourselves doing a lot of educating uh, and kind of yeah. guiding our lender partners through that process. And in turn, that helped the buyers and the sellers. It helped our realtors. And it, it really was great for us. So. Well, and keep in mind that for the lenders, uh, this is not their first new rule from Dodd-Frank that they've had to implement. You know, right. They just came off of QM implementation. Um, there's just been a lot of change that they've experienced in their industry, whereas the title and settlement industry, the TRID rule really was the big change and the big focus. And so we had uh, the benefits, if you could call it that, of being able to really focus in on this one rule, right. uh, whereas the lenders were shifting from one to the next. And frankly, it took all of the 22 months and then some to prepare. So if any of it was shortened by the time that they had to spend um, on any of their other uh, Dodd-Frank rule implementations, you know, they really were at a disadvantage. 
And let's, let's talk about, you talked about the focus. We had that time as an industry and, and Alta's best practices pillars were really a big part of that. So can you talk for a second about what those were, the thought behind those and how those helped all of the, uh, our industry get ready? So several years ago, uh, BCB put out a bulletin, uh, it was actually in 2012, about the importance of lenders making sure that they know whether or not their business partners are in compliance with consumer financial law. And really, because the CFPB is a new kind of regulator, uh, that memo sent a big shockwave kind of through the industry, including the title and settlement industry. Uh, because I think in the past, if you would think about how lenders would look at title and settlement, they maybe were um, kind of carved out as a uh, vendor that was in that same uh, oversight and due diligence category. But with the CFPB, they've really kind of changed that equation. So there's a lot of, frankly, confusion about kind of what the role is of the lenders to have oversight on title and settlement companies, considering that consumers are the ones that are in the driver's seat choosing the title and settlement company. And so what, you know, what is the oversight responsibility for the lenders when the consumers have, have that control? And I think what we know from the CFPB is that they're really concerned about making sure that the consumers are protected in the transaction and that anyone that is involved um, doesn't really get a pass for not knowing different aspects of consumer financial law. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the Alta Board of Governors really, we spent a lot of time talking about what was going to happen in the industry and where things would go. And that conversation led to the creation of the Alta Title Insurance and Settlement Company Best Practices. The best practices were designed as a way to give a pretty direct guidepost for people on what what it is that a title and settlement company should be doing to make sure that they're compliant with and protecting consumers in the transaction. And so the seven pillars of the best practices really allow us to translate our business to the business partners that we work with, um, being the lenders and the realtors, that would need to come in and look at the title and settlement industry. And so I think it's been, you know, on a whole, just a really great thing for the industry, not just because it allows... Um, the lenders to have a better understanding of what they should be looking for from the title and settlement companies, but also because it really gives the title and settlement companies time to look back and say, are we doing all of the things that we can and should be doing to make sure that we're compliant with the law and protecting consumers? It's been a it's been an interesting transition. You know, I I will certainly say that for many companies, especially um, smaller companies that don't have compliance teams. It's a, it's a more difficult process, and there's a lot to it. Uh, and frankly, there's an expense to it, which is, which is tough. But I think that there are also some really innovative ways where people can do things to protect consumers that aren't as expensive, and that's been worked out in the process. Um, so all in all, the industry has been much stronger. And one of the things that we've really focused on at Alta as we've been creating the title and settlement company best practices is trying to think about tools that we can offer for our members that will help them make sure that they're implementing correctly and that they're applying them and have um, communications tools that they can then give to lenders or anyone else that's interested to really show their compliance management programs. And we have numerous tools available on our website. And one of the other things we've done, because um, we do have some things that are available just to members, but we've allowed now this year for the option of subscription to best practices tools for any non-members. 
So even if you're not a member of Alta, and there are some documents that we've created that, and there are very few that are just for our members, but some that are just for members, um, you do have access to those. And so people can go to alta.org forward slash best practices to find more information about what some of those tools are and see if they might be interested in a subscription. Well, you had mentioned back, you mentioned the Business Strategies Conference. One of the topics is going to be um, cybersecurity and fraud. And, you know, I know at our company, it's a big challenge. Tell me some things that Alta is trying to do or, or what kind of resources they're providing to help members um, with this, this ongoing battle, which I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. It's, it's an interesting thing. I, I'm thinking frequently of the quote that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty or the price of freedom, uh, which is something that has always been applied uh, more to, you know, like the American democracy. But frankly, it really works if you think about cyber fraud. Uh, cyber fraud is something that, as much as we'd like to buy a uh, firewall or some type of software protection, uh, and put it on our systems and call it good, it really is something where you need eternal vigilance. But the one thing I would say about certainly the Thailand settlement industry is that cyber fraud really isn't that different from other types of fraud, that our industry has really spent a lot of time monitoring you know, for years. Uh, the difference is now that the tools that the fraudsters use are different and the origin of the fraud may be something that we're not able to see the same way that we could detect fraud uh, by a you know, fraudulent buyer or seller that's across from us at the closing table. Right. Uh, so, you know, fraud is something that our industry is, is very familiar with. It's just the tools that are different. You're to ask me if there's been an improvement in data security. Um, I would say that it's, it's back to that. It's hard to tell because it's the eternal vigilance. I think without a doubt, people have stopped bad things from happening and they've been able to catch um, funds that are fraudulently being wired out of accounts in time, um, which is good, or created the um, backstop so that those funds don't get wired out of their accounts at all. Um, I think that there's a lot more awareness about uh, what can happen through email um, and skepticism, which is great. I know that one of the things that our members talk about a lot is the, I wouldn't say frequent, but certainly often where fraudulent emails will come in from what appears to be a real estate agent that they're working with. It looks The email looks right. It seems like this is the right thing. Uh, and it's saying, oh, by the way, can you instead wire the money to this other account? Uh, because my, you know, and then they give some excuse. And frankly, these emails are pretty good uh, because the people that are creating the fraud or perpetrating the fraud have spent time watching the emails. And so they may know things like, I've got to take my dog to the vet, and so I'm not going to be able to pick up the check. Can you wire the funds beforehand to this location? Right. Um, so it gives personal information that would make somebody think that it's uh, a legitimate email when it's not. And so this goes back to, you know, you can have all the systems in the world, but picking up the phone and making those calls is a great protection against fraud and frankly it doesn't cost any money. So let's let's okay. uh, go let's go something more fun. Um, let's talk about oh. I think it, a, a big push for Alta in 2016 is uh, is the home buyer outreach program. I know there's some people trained to be able to talk about this around the country and historically explaining the value of title insurance to consumers really hasn't been a priority for us but it definitely has changed. Tell us why it's so important now. Yeah, it's interesting because 
you know, I think educating the consumer has always been important. It's just been a difficult thing to do. That's, so that's a better way of saying it, right? Uh, yeah, then it, then it kind of doesn't become a priority because if, you, know, you can't really figure out how to do it. You're not going to do it. And, I mean, one thing I would say that's great about representing the title and settlement industry is the people in this business do a really good job of protecting consumers. And so it's very infrequent that people have problems. And so if people are having problems that often, um, you're not hearing those kind of same stories. And so I think that what we figured out at ALTA is that we spent a lot of time struggling with trying to explain all of the back-end stuff about what our members do when what we really should be doing is explaining why the consumer benefits. So the consumer doesn't necessarily care about the back-end stuff, which sometimes is, you know, hurts. Uh, but right. they really, you know, the consumer, you know, because every, everybody wants to talk about what they do, which is great. But mm. at the end of the day, the consumer just wants to know what's in it for me. And that's really what we're spending a lot of time with our home buyer outreach program doing is focusing on making that shift. So instead of talking about what you do, instead spend your time talking about how it benefits the consumer. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more kind of pressure. I mean, obviously, the creation of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is an indication that society and the mindset of society has shifted to one of consumer protection being really important. You know, I think that we've seen a shift in uh, generations. There was a, you know, if you think about the World War II generation, everybody thinks that that's the group that said, you know, this is what you need to do because it's good for you, and so you're going to do it without asking questions. And that doesn't really exist uh, in the newer generations that are coming up, the younger generations, and frankly, even in the culture now. People have a more of a sense of wanting to Google something and figure out what it is and why it benefits them or read reviews on Yelp. And so I think as an industry, everybody really knows the importance of thinking through how to explain benefits to consumers in a way that's meaningful to them. So we've really spent a lot of time focusing on this um, and creating a lot of products for our members to use that are available for free to all of our members. And even the information is available uh, to everyone through alta.org forward slash homebuyer. Uh, and then we spend time talking about it too in our homebuyer focused uh, website, which is uh, homeclosing101.org. So both of those resources I think are really good, um, especially if you're a realtor that's listening uh, to this podcast, I think that it would be great to go to homeclosing101.org and think about linking to that uh, on your website or putting it in your email as a way to ex explain. Um, we also have very specific information on outreach to home buyers for realtors uh, at alta.org forward slash realtor. So we've created a number of tools that realtors can use to explain title insurance and the closing process to their clients. Uh, one of our Alta staffers was at an open house the other day and walked in and saw some of our brochures on the table at the open house and she was thrilled and of course immediately texted everybody and we all were pleased that it's working because anything that can get information out to just kind of explain the process earlier uh, instead of having to learn about it at the closing table, the better off the consumer is and that's really what we're all looking for. I'll be speaking at our state convention uh, for the Arizona Association of Realtors at the end of March. And rather than a typical presentation I would do there that was with social media or technology, I'm actually talking about title and escrow, which is it's exciting for me. I mean, I ran a branch yeah. for 10 years. Yeah. And so I'll be bringing those kinds of tools to my presentation. 
saying, why are you yeah. not, you know, utilizing all of these things that are being made available to you? Uh, so it's, it's kind of cool to be able to actually talk about what we do, you know, in front of a room full of realtors yeah. and say, hey, look at these, uh, all these great tools and resources are available to you. And I guarantee you a lot of them think, don't know they're there, right? Yeah, and I think that, Bill, that's one of the great things is now the material is really focused on having, you know, that we have to provide for the realtors is focused on what's in it for the home buyer and what's in it for the consumer instead of, as I said, that thing we used to do was when you would go and talk about title and escrow, you'd probably talk about a search and exam and looking at the public record and trying right. to find liens or encumbrances, and pretty soon people were falling asleep. So instead, right. if we're talking about this is what you can tell your client so that they understand the process better and that they know that what the title company does was, is allow them to buy their home with confidence. That's the message that means so much more. Well, that's going to be fun. It's, it'll be fun to get it's back fun. to that. Yeah, that's good. So uh, yeah. I've, I've taken Thanks for I, doing it. Yeah, a couple more questions. I've taken a lot of your time here this morning. Sure. Um, are there any challenges on the horizon for the industry or the, you know, that you see that you're, you're kind of watching out for? Do we have enough to deal with what's with what's happened in the last couple or even up to 10 years in the business. Yeah, I think if you were to ask anybody in the industry that question, they'd all say enough, enough. Everybody right. feels definitely full. Um, there are challenges. I mean, there's always challenges on the horizon, and that's an important thing for us to look at. And frankly, we spend a lot of time at ALTA with our leadership thinking about what the world's going to look like in the next five years and what we should be doing to help prepare our members for that. Um, I think if you were to ask me now if there's going to be legislative changes, I don't know if I'd see a whole lot of legislative changes on the near term. Um, I do think that some of the significant challenges that the title industry is really going to face has a lot more to do with technology, um, both from technology from a disruption standpoint of new uh, types of players coming into place, and then also the technology of what we can do to help educate um, home buyers more. And then, of course, how technology allows for fraud to come in, which right. is something that we need to pay attention to. And then I think the other thing that people need to start paying attention to is the new wave of home buyers. You know, there's always been a question about whether or not the millennials are going to buy homes or if this is a generation that doesn't do that. But I think if you look at um, what the economists are saying, they talk about the fact that millennials are definitely in that mode to buy homes. It's just that millennials start the process that triggers home buying later than previous generations. Right. So they're getting married later than previous generations. They're having children later than previous generations. And those are the things that really trigger uh, that home buying and, frankly, moving up into a different home and, and all of the things that we know of as kind of a normal housing market. The millennials are now in that stage where they're doing all of those things and at that age where they're getting married and having children and obviously buying homes. And so we need to think about how the way they view uh, the consumer process for them being different and that affects what we do and how we should provide services. Right. That's it's such a focus for the for the world of uh, realtors and lenders as well. I mean, it's yeah. what everybody's talking about and it does. It applies to us just as much. Generally, I end every podcast with the same question, and I thought it through, and I'm not going to ask you this question. I'll tell you what it is, but it's the question is always, so for a realtor just getting started out in the business, or maybe they're stuck, they've kind of plateaued, what's one piece of advice you would give that realtor? And so you can see why I probably decided not to ask you that question. Does that make sense? Can we talk about it a lot? Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's so, good. Well, I it's mean, a, this is... This 
Yeah, I mean, this is important because I think that if you were to think about the things that I've talked about on our podcast today, it's really yeah. about how we work as partners in, in collaboration. And I think that's really um, an important part of the process. And I hope that realtors view their title and settlement companies as their partner in the process, too. Right. Um, and just keep that open line of communication because at the end of the day, if we do that, we're going to provide a much better experience for the consumer. And that's really what we're all about. Well, you kind of answered that question. That's awesome. So I'm not even going to. No, that's great. You can't well, not ask me a question, Bill. All right. It's going to happen. It, it was out there. You had to take care of it. Well, Michelle, I that's thank right. you so much for joining us today. If um, if someone wanted to reach out to you and uh, uh -huh. reach out to you or your or your organization, you gave us a few uh, you know links today. But what's the easiest way to get sure. in touch with you? People can always email me at, um, I shouldn't say at before I start it, because of course you're going to get that confused with the ampersand, but michelle at alta.org. Uh, so if anybody wants to reach me, michelle at alta.org, that would be great. And I'll, I'll vouch for your website. There is so much information, so much content there. Go to alta.org and, and do some looking around. I think a lot of yeah. uh, the listeners would be pretty impressed with what you've put together there, with what your team has done. It's just fantastic. So. Thanks. It's always uh, one of the things that we're always working on is how can we make our website simpler because we do know that there's a lot of information out there. But um, we have a, a very clear mindset that there is um, some select information that's behind our member-only wall, but most of what we do we like to put out there so that everybody can see and understand a little bit more about the title and settlement industry. So I would agree that spending time on our website can be really productive. Thanks again, Michelle, for, uh, for joining us today on the Real Estate Sessions. Thanks, Bill. It has been my pleasure. And thanks to everyone listening today. I hope that we've been able to bring you some information about the American Land Title Association that's different or new or helpful. And we appreciate uh, you telling your friends, as you've been doing, about the podcast. We keep getting bigger and growing, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So until we publish our next episode next Tuesday, keep writing your own story. You've been listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about The Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.